Shabbat Shalom. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Bless the name of Yahweh. We are in Yehezko Ezekiel today. Still in scroll one as we look at the 13 scrolls of Ezekiel. I believe this is part six. Scroll one, the first scroll, the first vision that Ezekiel gave to the elders as they were in exile by the river Chebar um, begins in chapter eight, verse one in the Masoretic text and extends all the way through to chapter 19, verse 14. We're in the sixth part of delving into this first vision, this first scroll that was delivered to those elders. It deals with the present state of Israel, all of those abominations that were going on in the temple, and how the wicked would be slain. And then we know that the glory, the glory of Yahuwah would depart east. We've been seeing this now. Ezekiel has seen this, and now we get to see it as he proclaims this message to the exiles in Babylon. Of course, this scroll was penned. You can go back to the eighth chapter, the first verse, and you can see it dated in the sixth month, the fifth day, and the sixth year. This is his first vision. So we're going to jump right into it in chapter, in the Masoretic text, 17 verse 1. Remember, there are no chapters. These are actually scrolls, 13 of them, but we're going to use the Masoretic, um, the Masoretic chapter division just to aid you in turning the pages. But in reality, those were added by men, and we're going back to the true revelation of 13 scrolls. This is the first scroll. And the word of Yahuwah came to me, saying, Ben-Adam, son of man, put out a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. It's not often that you get a riddle and a parable within the same verse, within the same text. So um, let's make a distinction between the two, because some might be confused or not understand the difference. A riddle, a riddle really is something very mysterious, and it's an example um, from which another example can be understood. I mean, remember Samson? Samson's running along and he comes across what? A lion's carcass. And he comes up and there's a riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat. And out of the strong came forth something quite sweet. What was the riddle? What is that all about? Remember, well, when we find out what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion, perfect example of a riddle. That's very different than what Yahusha did with a parable because a parable was likening one thing to another and it usually made that concept a lot clearer, way more understandable. Something was obscure, you made a parable out of it, it brought clarity and it brought forth something that the audience could then comprehend. Whereas a riddle really deliberately obscures something that only the astute, only those seeking can really, really find the truth of, which was of course what happened with Samson. Look at verse 3. And say, this says the master Yahuwah. Got seven things here. A great eagle with great wings. 
Long pinions full of feathers, which had different colors, came to Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. A riddle, a parable. Look at this as we break this down, these seven things. The great eagle, number one. What's the great eagle in this riddle? Anyone? What's the great eagle? It's Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar is the great eagle who has, number two, great wings. Well, what's that all about? Well, he's got this expansive kingdom. Babylonia was an expansive kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, the great eagle with the expansive kingdom, number three, swoops down with long pinions, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, he had the ability to travel long distances and still be able to capture his prey. And then, because of those long pinions, he was able to capture his prey from quite some distance away. And what would the eagle do with those long pinions that he's captured his prey? Take them back to his nest. And that's exactly what he did with Zedekiah, didn't he? And those long pinions actually can damage the prey, pluck out their eyes maybe and blind them. You see how we can bring revelation forth with a riddle and a parable by spending a little time. And look at the fourth thing. Nebuchadnezzar was full of feathers. What does that mean? He had great strength. He had great flying ability. Whereas others, even Egypt, they were not traveling as far afield as old Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's army was still strong when it went quite some distance. Whereas in this time, Israel was looking to Egypt to be some strength and come to their rescue. But the army, as they traveled further outside of Egypt, they became weaker and weaker. Whereas Nebuchadnezzar's strength was full of feathers. He had great flying ability. He was able to make those long distance incursions into enemy territory and bring the enemy back defeated into his nest this is what this is explaining look at the fifth item in this riddle full of different colors this is talking about nebuchadnezzar's martial splendor it really represented his ruling generals because it wasn't nebuchadnezzar that necessarily had to go to jerusalem he could send his ruling governors and generals into the area his dignitaries to make forth the covenants and the treaties and only later was it necessary that he went down he had great splendor with those different colors and the sixth sixth part of this riddle is that hey look different colors came to lebanon of course israel was likened unto lebanon the land of the mighty lebanon forests and nebuchadnezzar went down into israel and finally number seven he took the highest branch of course that is the king of judah jehoiachin at this point And verse 4, he cropped off the top of his young twigs and he carried it into a land of traders and he set it in a city full of merchants. He took also the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by many waters and set it as a willow tree. There's six things that we can see right now in verse 4 as we go into this text. Look at number 1, the young twigs. What is the young twigs in this riddle right here? 
Well, I think the young twig, twigs, quite honestly, it's the, the, prince of, the princes of Jehoiachin, isn't it? Doesn't that make sense? Those would be the young, the young twigs. And then number two, the land of the traders of, is, of course, Babylon. And number three, he took seed of the land. That's talking about how Nebuchadnezzar took Zedekiah, the brother of Jehoiachin, and the son of Josiah. Of course, Josiah was the last great king of Judah. And number four, within the text, he planted it in a fruitful field. Nebuchadnezzar, this is talking about how Nebuchadnezzar established Zedekiah's reign. It was Nebuchadnezzar that appointed Zedekiah. He established his reign in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the fruitful field. And he made him promise, hey, Zedekiah, I'll establish you, but you promise, make a covenant to be a faithful servant of me. And of course, Zedekiah broke that covenant. Number five, he placed him by many waters, meaning Zedekiah's reign was under close supervision. He was only appointed by Nebuchadnezzar that he would be subservient to Nebuchadnezzar and that he would give trade to Babylon and that the military might that flowed out of Babylon would have access into the ramparts of Jerusalem, placed by many waters. And then number six, set as a willow tree. And another translation I like is Zedekiah was set as a foul-smelling vine, which is better, I think. Zedekiah was set as a foul-smelling vine, meaning an unpleasant odor only tolerated by Nebuchadnezzar because that foul-smelling vine actually vowed to stay low, to stay humble and to not creep along the ground, never to dare and climb to the height of the cedar of which, of course, where the eagle dwelt. But Nebuchadnezzar started to climb. He started to spread forth and that's when the eagle, of course, came in, swooped in with those pinions and took him back to the nest. So really, really, what an amazing, just within a few verses, you get the whole history of Nebuchadnezzar and the final kings of Israel. Very clearly, you see, when you break it down, a riddle and a parable actually gives more revelation than you could ever explain by just mere words. It's hidden, but once it's revealed, it's truly revealed in clarity more than anything else, isn't it? Look at verse 6. And it grew and became a spreading vine of little size, whose branches turned toward him, and the roots of it were under him. So it became a vine, and brought out branches, and shot out shoots. This, of course, is talking about Zedekiah's reign from the beginning was only ever permitted because he vowed to be turned inward. He vowed to grow inward towards the trunk to stay put in Jerusalem with no territorial ambitions. That's the only reason Nebuchadnezzar permitted him to be king is that he would stay inward, he would stay around Jerusalem, he wouldn't be expansive, he wouldn't have territorial ambitions. His reign was not to branch outward like a healthy tree. He wasn't to be expansive, that would be a healthy reign. He was to be inward and stay humble. 
So Zedekiah, in reality, think about it today with globalism and nationalism. This is really talking about Zedekiah was put in power only if he agreed to be a nationalist. But once he started to have globalist ambitions or he became under the influence of the globalists, then what happened? His reign was taken from him. So today, when we look at the political spectrum of things, the Bible's teaching us the distinction between nationalism and globalism. And sometimes people are put in power if they stay close to the vine. But as soon as they start spreading and doing the work of the globalists, maybe we're going to start to have more revelation as this goes forth. So bear with me, because I think as we see President Trump being put in office, is it that he was put in office because he was told to stay low? to be a nationalist and stay close to the country. But if he does start to make alliances and allegiances and spread out towards the reign of the globalists, will his presidency be plucked from him? That's what happened with JFK. We have to look at history in light of these things because this isn't something new globalism and nationalism. This is something that was happening in the times of the final kings of Judah, and we need to be aware of it within this parable and riddle. There's much, much, excuse me, to be learned. We need to stop branching out as far as I'm concerned as a a citizen of this country. I don't want to see America involved in any more foreign wars. There's no reason why we should be in Afghanistan. I mean, Afghanistan, we've been messing around in Afghanistan since the 1600s, the British and the Russians. I mean, it's the great game. And we're still doing the same old thing. And then no good fruit comes out of it. Of course, we have to learn to stay close. But the globalists want us to spread and get involved in more and more foreign wars. And now we're talking about Syria. And we've got these close ties with Israel. All of this is globalism. And it will be the undoing of this nation. Whereas in reality, we need to stay close to home, shore up the borders. And this is what the president committed to. So is he going to be like Zedekiah and start going against those commitments? Well, we, better, we will see, right? But Zedekiah did. He made commitments and he didn't follow through with those commitments. Our leaders today, are they going to be under the same judgment? It remains to be seen. But look at verse 7. There was also another great eagle. Of course, this isn't Nebuchadnezzar. This is talking about Pharaoh. But look at the contrast between the power of Nebuchadnezzar, who's able to make great excursions with those long pinions, pluck out his prey, and bring them back into his nest. In comparison to Pharaoh, a great eagle with great wings, but only with many feathers. And see, this vine did bend its roots towards him. Of course, Zedekiah thought, well, I can go and make allegiance with Pharaoh and Pharaoh will come to aid me and protect me from Nebuchadnezzar. But it didn't happen, did it? And he shot out his branches toward him and from the furrows of its bed that he might water it. Zedekiah, instead of keeping his vow to Nebuchadnezzar, began to look towards His vine began to creep towards Pharaoh in Egypt, and he made, of course, an alliance. And I'm very wary, quite honestly, 
going back to our current events. I'm very wary of, of, of Trump and bending his vine towards the globalists right now. I really am. I mean, why are we even involved in these wars in Syria? Why are we even involved in, in, in what's going over on in the state of Israel? I'm very concerned that, 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 that Trump's starting to, to spread his vine outward. And that's not what the people or why the people voted him in. So I'm already seeing a shift. Are you seeing a shift? It's very troubling to me. It truly is, especially with um, what's going on in Syria right now. So look at this. This eagle, Pharaoh, didn't have long pinions, did he? Pharaoh didn't have long pinions like the great eagle, Nebuchadnezzar, and he only had many feathers. The distinction there is the Hebrew word for many feathers is rab. The Hebrew word rab, many feathers. He didn't have malay, which is what Nebuchadnezzar had. Malay, the Hebrew word malay means an abundance, an abundance of feathers. Nor did he have different colors. So Nebuchadnezzar had malay, abundant feathers with many colors, whereas Pharaoh didn't have the ability to come and rescue Zedekiah. Pharaoh didn't have the ability to come to Zedekiah's defense and carry him to safety. He didn't have the might of generals. He didn't have the commanders like Nebuchadnezzar did, of course, the colors that Nebuchadnezzar had. So this really does begin to unravel, doesn't it? Look at verse 8. It was planted in a good soil by many waters, that it might bring out branches, that it might bear fruit, that it might be a good vine. Say this, says the master Yahuwah, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots of it and cut it off the fruit of it so that it withers? It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring. Even without great power or many people to pluck it up by the roots of it. Of course, Zedekiah again is what Yahweh is communicating through the scriptures. Zedekiah was a planted. He was established by Yahweh, yes, but through the might of Nebuchadnezzar. And he should have been content, but he wasn't content, was he? He should have been content to bear fruits worthy of the mercy that had been shown him. But the moment that Zedekiah began to spread his vine outward towards Pharaoh, that was the moment that his doom was cemented. This is talking about nationalism And then the nationalist leader compromising and beginning to be influenced by globalists. We have to be wary of that today because you can see it. We've had Brexit in England. This was a nationalist move. We've had the presidency of Trump. This this shocked people. This was a nationalist move. Or we had the stay, people wanting to stay in the European Union. That would have been a very globalist move, which the majority they thought would go for. But it wasn't the majority. And of course, the globalist move here would have put Clinton in 30 years of that tyranny. 
And that, everybody thought that was the majority, but it wasn't. So again, we're at this time when we're starting to see, just as in the last kings of Judah and Babylon, we now look at the reigns of leaders in our day and mystery Babylon having its influence on them. Nationalism versus globalism. That's ultimately what the wars are about today. And how will we fare as the saints in these days? Will we be carried captive? Will we be carried captive? Will we give in to idolatry? Will we compromise? Because as the leaders go, what happens with the saints? We have to be strong. We cannot be influenced by the leaders because the leaders are in the fight for their lives. Can't you see it? The attacks on these leaders is absolutely amazing. And it's on the front page of of the newspapers every single day. They are tearing one another apart. And we have to be careful not to get caught up into that identity politics. It's identity politics. So look at verse 10. See, it is planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither? When the east wind touches it, it shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar heard of Zedekiah's treachery and blew in from the northeast, and he scorched that vine of Zedekiah, and the furrows of Jerusalem where he grew were scorched as well. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of Yahuwah came to me, saying, and now in verse 13, we're going to get the answer to the riddle, the answer to the parable in the scripture itself. See now, say now, excuse me, to the rebellious house, know you not what these things mean? Tell them, see, the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem and has taken the king and the leaders of it and led them into the house of Babylon. And has taken one of the king's seed and made a covenant with him and has taken an oath for him. He has also taken the mighty of the land. That the kingdom might be base, that it might not lift itself up, but by guarding its covenant it might stand. But he rebelled against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give him horses and many people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that does such things? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? As I live, says the master Yahuwah, surely in the place where the king dwells that made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, even with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. Verse 17. Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company go in to help him in battle by casting heat mounds and building walls to cut off many persons. Seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant when see he had given his hand and done all these things. He shall not escape. Verse 19, therefore, this says the master Yahweh, as I live, surely my oath he has despised and my covenant he has broken. 
talking about Zedekiah, even it will I repay upon his own head. Literally, he had his eyes plucked out, right? And I will spread my net upon him, and he shall be taken in my trap, and I will bring him to Babylon, and will plead with him there for his trespass, that he trespassed against me. And all this, and all his fugitives, with all of his chains, shall fall by the sword. And they that remain shall be scattered toward all the winds. And you shall know that I, Yahweh, have spoken it. Powerful. That's the answer to the parable or the riddle right there within the text. Verse 22 goes on to say this, says the master Yahweh. I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off the top of his young twigs, a tender one, and will plant it upon a high and eminent mountain. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it shall bring out branches, bear fruit, and be a good cedar. And it shall bring out branches, bear fruit, and yes, be a good cedar. And under it, it shall dwell all fowls of every wing. In the shadow of its branches, they shall dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, Yahweh, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, Yahweh, have spoken and shall do it. Of course, this speaks about the messianic redemption that one day would be realized in Yahusha, of course, as this offspring of the seed of David. This is hope for a country and a people in doom with leaders that are compromising, that leaders that are leaving, leading them astray. There's always hope with that messianic redemption. And we're not alone. Because quite honestly, if I read the newspaper and I pay attention to, to the news, it's, it's so discouraging. It is so discouraging. And then the liberals are just like going along with globalism at every single turn. And um, you try and talk about anything nationalist, and then, of course, um, they get into identity politics and start to call you names. Well, no, you just understand from the word that globalism ultimately leads to the defeat of nations by this big, big industrial, industrial hegemony just like there was back in the times of Nebuchadnezzar. It's amazing. Look at the Davidic seed in this scriptural text, the Davidic seed of Jehoiachin, that had seemed to dry up in exile, actually blossomed through his grandson Zerubbabel. We thought it was all over, but this seed actually ended up blossoming through his grandson Zerubbabel, and of course Zerubbabel's temple would be rebuilt after they came back from Babylon. So when all hope seems to be lost through Yahusha, through that redemption of messianic redemption, that seed line, there's always hope. There's always hope. Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, he conquered the land of Israel and he appointed Zedekiah by oath 
of this allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar to reign. And Zedekiah, yes, you need to make sure that you reign as a lowly and humbled king. But he didn't. He raised himself up. He began to, to spread his vine and be outward against the covenant. And then Nebuchadnezzar came in with those pinions and he plucked out his eyes and took him back to his nest. This is what this is talking about. And it was ultimately all under the control of Yahweh using Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to bring about his judgment. And are all of our leaders at this point just ultimately under the control of mystery Babylon because all of these leaders they were ultimately under the control of Babylon and I look today and I see all these leaders and governors and all this race for politics and we've got um, votes here in Oregon right now and I wonder I mean just as in these days when they were under the control ultimately of Babylon are all of our leaders under the control of mystery Babylon is is that the point of treachery where we're at I do wonder I do wonder because you can seem to lose hope. You can seem to lose hope. It truly, truly is amazing. But look at the history of these kings. Of course, Josiah was the last righteous king of Judah. Josiah was the last righteous king of Judah. He reigned for 30 odd years. I mean, he had a good long reign. And then he had, of course, Jehoazaz. Um, he only reigned for three months, quite a contrast, 30 odd years. And then the next king reigned for just three months. And then he was imprisoned. He was taken to Egypt and he died in Egypt. Not a good, not a good uh, um, reign whatsoever. Then the next king after that was Elkamin or uh, Jehoiakim and he reigned 11 years. Of course, the consequences of the sins of Manasseh, his grandfather, were visited upon him, didn't escape him. And then after him, there was Jehoiachin. He was the son of Elkamin and Jehoiachin. He reigned three months, not very long at all. He was taken prisoner with his household to, household to Babylon. On. That was the um, exile in which um, Daniel got caught up with. Mordecai got caught up within that exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got all caught up with that king um, in that exile. And finally, in our text here, we get to Zedekiah. He actually reigned 11 years. That's kind of a, in comparison, I mean... Not as long, of course, as Josiah, but Zedekiah was wicked. Eleven years, he was the son of Josiah, the uncle of Jehoiachin, and the brother of Elkamin, Jehoiakim, and Jehoahaz. What a bunch of names they are. Try to keep that straight late at night. But look at chapter 18, verse 1. The word of Yahweh came to me again saying, What do you mean when you use this parable concerning the land of Israel? A parable of fourfold destruction is what we're seeing right here, which was supposed to startle the nation and cause them to repent. But did it? And I think today, with the election of President Trump, that really did startle the nation, didn't it? But I don't see much repenting going on. I don't see much repenting going on. I see division, arguments, and this identity politics. It's absolutely discouraging. It really is. Back to our texts. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are blunted. Now, of course, here, Yahuwah now turns to a parable that was at the forefront of the minds 
of the people, the children of Israel. It was a parable they'd actually invented themselves to justify their behavior and negate the need to repent. And we live in a society that justifies sin at every turn. They justify their behavior and they negate the need to repent. At every turn, the Jerusalemites in the text... Their sin, their complacency was abounding as they were quoting the prophets who said that Yahweh's way was to punish the children for the sins of their fathers. Look at Manasseh and his descendants, barring Josiah, of course. They thought that they could keep on sinning because the consequences wouldn't actually hit their generation. It would go down to the next generation. And there was the air of their thoughts. Look at verse 3. As I live, says the master Yahuwah, you shall not have an occasion anymore to use this parable in Israel. See, all beings belong to me. The being of the Father, so also the being of the Son is mine. And the being that sins, it shall die. Meaning, the man alone is held accountable for his sin. The man alone is held accountable for his sin. You can't hide behind your generations forever. The lame ass excuses, and I'm not allowed to say that word which I just did, the excuses that I hear from people, oh, well, you know, my childhood, and, you know, I grew up with alcohol in the home, and I grew up... At some point, when are you going to stand up and say, it stops with me? I take personal responsibility. It's so easy just to, oh, and that is all around me, even with believers. It is a secular worldview that has infiltrated the church, and people don't take personal responsibility for sin. Yes, your daddy may have done this. Yes, your mummy may have done this. Stand up and do what is right and righteous and build a siege wall against sin so it no longer can have access into your lives. You have to hate it. But people keep dabbling with it because it's a familiar spirit that encroaches upon their boundaries because they haven't set boundaries that it comes through the wall just like the little foxes. We have overcome so much in our family. My wife and I, when we got married, we were secular heathens. She was a new age hippie. I won't even tell you what I was. What we've overcome by the glory of Yahuwah is by putting the word into practice and being delivered. And there is much work to do, especially with me. She doesn't have that much to do. I've got a ton to do. She tells me all the time. But it's... 
We have got, I mean, I, just like what you were saying, Jacob, before you stood up, before I stood up here, the testimony of how your life can be changed when you put the word into action is amazing. And I just don't know, I don't understand how people are so enticed by the world. I don't. I really don't understand it. The world, I mean, maybe they have to go and experience it, but there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, I, I'm, I look back and oftentimes I think, oh, how, how amazing it would have been, been to be raised in a family of faith. But then I look back and I go, you know what? I, I, I was raised in the world. I've tasted and seen it all. And there is nothing there. And I think that's the problem is people dabble. They dabble. Thinking that, oh, but there isn't. This is the life. It's here. It's here. And this is what the Father is trying to say to us. You can't blame your generations forever. You just have to stand and take responsibility. The man alone is held accountable for his sin. And you can't hide behind daddy forever. You've just got to stand up. Yes, there's generational consequences. I'm not saying that. But the Ruach does give us the power to overcome and rise above our present circumstances by walking in the Ruach and immersing ourselves hourly in truth. It can't be just a daily devotional and off we go running to work. We have to immerse ourselves hourly in truth otherwise the infiltration i have people that come down to my work and they're like oh i don't know how you can work in this environment i'm like what why because they're seeing just with their eyes i'm like i can work in this environment because i immerse myself hourly in truth and i see in the spirit stop looking with your eyes and you'll be distracted it's easy to work in this environment when you're walking in the Ruach and you're immersed in truth. If I didn't, I would never be able to do it. But that just shows me, just shows me how people are not paying attention. And this is a time of pressing trial and tribulation upon this generation. We need to be equipped. Look at verse 5. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? If you had to spend the days where I spend my days, then you'd be passionate too. Because you'd give glory to Yahweh each and every day that you got to go home to your family. But if a man is righteous and does that which is according to the Torah and right, and has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has come near to a wood woman in Nidar, and has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has plundered no one by violence, and has given his bread to the hungry and has covered the naked with a garment he that has not charged interest neither has taken any increase that has turned back his hand from iniquity and has executed true judgment between man and man he has had their walk in my statutes and judgments to deal truly 
he is just and he shall surely live says the master Yahuwah. This right here, from verse 5 onwards all the way through to verse 9, this is an explanation, an introduction, and a template of how to live a righteous life. And Yahuwah lays it out to us in logical order. It's right here. It's not a mystery. It's not like some crazy form, oh, I don't know how to be a believer and walk in straight... Get right, get real, and walk it out. It is not hard because the power of the Ruach equips us to walk it out. Number one, refuse to serve and acknowledge idols. Burn your idols. Burn them. Get them out of your house. Get them out of your TV set. Throw the TV set away if it's a temptation to you. Unsubscribe from all those things that you've subscribed from. If that is idolatry in your life, Cut it out at the root because idolatry constitutes the denial of the power of Yahweh's word. You'll wonder why you're doing devotions in the morning and it's not making any, any impact in your life. Unsubscribe. You can't commingle the word of Yahweh with idolatry. And that's the problem. Oh, I'll get up and do my 10 minutes of devotions. No, you have got to be serious about this faith walk. That's not enough. You have got to cast out the idols and idolatry because it constitutes the denial of the power of the word. Number two, refuse to give sway to the flesh. Stop doing what you've been doing. Refuse to give sway to the flesh. Don't look at it, don't listen to it, and don't engage in it. Common and immoral lusts and passions are the quickest way to hell. Avoid them. Avoid them. Number three, positive commandments. Do acts of charity, give, be kind. This is the basis for having a good relationship between man and man. Firstly, you should give with your heart. And secondly, you should give where you're being nourished. What what is it that, that, that really moves your heart? Well, you should give to that. We have a heart for children, so... We give to organization that helps children. That's our heart. And then where are you being fed? Then you give to that. You give with your heart and you give where you're being fed. This is the basis for having good relationships with man and with Yahuwah. Look at justice. We keep the commandments between man and man. That's what justice is. Righteousness, that's keeping the commandments between man and Yahuwah. But we want justice and we want righteousness. It's twofold. It's twofold. Number four, we maintain justice and law. Torah, that's the basis of community. That's the basis of our community and society. We all walk in one accord because we have a basis of law. That doesn't mean we're legalists. 
But I can trust you and you can trust me because we know we're not going to work on the Sabbath. Because we know we're not going to engage in certain things. That we know, I know that I can trust my wife around other men in the community because I know that you have the same basis of law. I know that my children are safe next door because we have the same basis of law. It's the Torah and the commandments. It builds community and faith. I can have that trust. And number five, we obey the statutes. That's abiding obedience. Those whose logic may not be apparent. Those are the things we obey first. We obey the statutes first. Then, once we've obeyed the statutes, then, then we obey the judgments. That's knowledgeable obedience. It's the same way as we train up a child. When you have a little child, right, you teach them to obey the statutes. They don't know why they're obeying it, but they just obey it because of faith and trust. Then, once they grow, then they obey the judgments. They understand why they're obeying those things. But we've lost that in our society. Right? We see a commandment from Yahweh and we're like, well, well why, 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 why should we do that? No, that's a judgment. First, obey the statutes. That's trust. Just walking it. Walk in it. And then once you walk in it, then you'll realize where the blessing is. But the problem is we intellectualize everything instead of walking in faith and trust. Yahweh has designed his words with the difference between chukim, statutes, and mishpatim, judgments. You do the judgments later. First of all, you walk in the chukim, the statutes. Those that you may not know why you're doing it, but just walk in the blessing. Trust, just like a child. Don't cross the road, Johnny. Well, he doesn't know yet why. But you know what? There'll be a blessing. It's just the way we treat and raise our children. Look how this text is teaching us to walk with Yahuwah, but also be aware of the days and times we live in. Look how it began. I'll close here um, in, the, in chapter 17, verse 3. Because we really need to pay attention to live righteously, to walk righteously with one another in community, but also with the Father. We've got to cast the idols out of our life. We've got to make sure that we are truly being devout in our daily, daily lives. Hourly, guarding ourselves from iniquity and temptation. And we have to realize, as all of this is going on in the earth and people are losing hope, and secular society seems to be growing and growing and growing, there is also a remnant of Yahweh's people that are waking up all across the globe. I get the privilege of hearing from many because we are seeing an awakening within the saints that really are hungering for zeal and righteousness. And as these leaders are being exposed, whether it's presidents, prime ministers, governors, we're starting to see on a leadership level in nations things shifting. But also we're seeing incursions into territories that we shouldn't be going into. 
the state of Israel in, curse, in going now and getting involved in wars in, with Iran and Syria. We're seeing American forces on the ground in that area too. This is very concerning to me. It is very concerning. And, and we, of course, have the embassy move, which coincides with the um, 70th anniversary of the um, invention of the state of, and founding of the state of Israel. But remember how we opened up today. This says the Master Yahweh, a great eagle with great wings, long pinions full of feathers, which had different colors, came to Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. That's how we opened up. That's a good fitting place for us to close. Because this great eagle with great wings, we live in a nation A nation symbolized by what? The great eagle. And and just like Nebuchadnezzar's subjects, we live under rulers who have expansive kingdoms with many people under their rule. But if our rulers continue to have outward, expansive, globalist ambitions, I believe it's going to be their downfall. I believe it's going to be their downfall. Long pinions. Be wary. Be safe when you're out there. Because the net is closing. The net is closing. Governments are implementing laws and rules. They're using spy technology on us. They're able to pick up any citizen at any time. And carry them away into the nest. People are disappearing. The homeless are literally being disappeared. Literally disappearing all over the nation. Instead of Babylon and a camp by Chebar, we're dealing with mystery Babylon and, and FEMA camps on the horizon. So, so be very wary of those long pinions. Be very wary, full of feathers. I mean, our governments are you. I mean, who would have thought it? Our governments are using drone technology with great flying ability to target their own citizens and watch over your every move, your every move. Look at those great feathers and how it affects us today. We would have never even thought about it 10 years ago. But this drone technology is insipid. It is literally people are being spied on wherever they go and followed. Different colors. In the U.S., we've seen the president pluck more colors, more colors from his cabinet than we've seen before with so many other presidents. Do you know how many people... The President Trump has axed from his cabinet, from around him. He has plucked more colors than we have seen. Governors, White House staff, they've been axed. If you go and have a look at the list of people that were there when he started, I mean, he has literally removed a whole bunch of those colors from his plumage. He's cleaning house. I mean, Trump knows where the bodies are buried in D.C., He's been involved there for years. He knows where all those bodies are buried. 
And I think he's got a lot of dirt on people. I really do. Look at this text, came to Lebanon. Of course, Lebanon was that great, great, strong, strong tree. That, of course, the timbers that built the temple that were taken down and drifted downstream to Jerusalem and then carried up to Jerusalem. And finally, finally, after 40 years, we're starting to see a little bit of strength come back to our national infrastructure. We're finally starting to see all of those corporations that left are starting to come back. We're starting to see that strength of the cedar, an opportunity for this nation to grow strong. The UK because they have implemented Brexit, they're finally starting to see strength come back. Strength come back instead of all of that European Union involvement. That's what we need. We need the strength of the cedars of Lebanon in our nations. But the problem is, the globalists want, of course, to demolish that tree. And finally took the highest branch, took the highest branch. I mean, how much longer, how much longer before we see the collapse of the Clintons? I mean, literally, I mean, that woman is collapsing every time she gets out of her limo. I mean, she's got like a, do you see her when she's like in New York in the middle of a a warm season? She's all bundled up with a coat because she's hiding a back brace. I mean, the woman is, is, is literally collapses all the time and they try to cover it up in the press. But how much longer before we finally see 30 years of their crimes being exposed? I mean, these are the highest branch. That family has been, that and the bushes have, are the highest branch that have been in this nation for 30 odd years. At the top of the national tree, it's time for this highest branch to be taken down. It truly is. So we're on the verge of something great if we can just endure. If we can just endure. And you know what? Repentance is the key. It's repentance. If Yah's people would just seek his face, that's the key. We need to wake up his people from the compromise, from the sin. We need to be aware that we are in a fight for our lives. Nationalism versus globalism. And yes, if you side with nationalism, they're going to call you names. They're going to get into identity politics, but that's all that they can do. Because their arguments are flawed and weak. But we have to stand just as the children of Israel were enticed. We're being enticed. But we have to resist the temptation. Because otherwise, you will literally be taken captive by mystery Babylon in these last days. This book, these scrolls are so prophetic. And they are a warning for us. In a day and time when there is much compromise and mystery Babylon is growing and those pinions are ready to snatch up the prey. And guess what? Those 
that fall for the globalist agenda, they will be the first to be snatched up. And they won't be taken to the River Cheba camp. They'll be taken to the nearest FEMA camp. And we really, really need to wake up because there's so many people who say, oh, you've been saying that for years. Look around us and read the word. But these compromised lives of dallying around with the world, guess what? Then you start to fall asleep and you fall to slumber because you're surrounded by all of the distraction. But this wakes you up. When you're in the word, you're in prayer hourly, you'll be able to do amazing things. So, Abba, we pray that as we go forth and prepare to come into Shavuot, that, Father, that you would truly, truly refine your people. We thank you for the opportunities. Let us not be tempted by the things of the world, by the things of the flesh. Let us stay true to your word, Abba, that we would be a witness in our communities wherever we are, and that, Father, that you would raise up many more, many more saints in these days in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Questions? Comments? Anybody? We will be celebrating Shavuot in uh, two weeks on the Sunday. I forget the date. The 27th. And we're going to be at Silver Falls State Park. At what time? We'll post it online. But that's going to be exciting. Beautiful venue. Um, We're just... Easy mikvah. Literally throw you off the waterfall. And if you want immersion, we'll throw you off. If you want a sprinkling, you can just go underneath when you resurface. I mean, it's grand. Grand. So we're going to have a fun time there. We can have a big open fire as well. So um, kosher marshmallows is the key for the children. Yes. No gelatin in the house of Yah. Praise Yah. Amen. All right.